previously on The Avatar Returns. What do I remember about Avatar? There's a bald kid and, like, weather. Also, an incredible contact drunk. So- Sokka spends the entire episode tripping balls. This is the best thing, thing since I, I grinded on that male dancer at the club. That owl spirit is a gigantic dick. That's fascinating. It's, except for the last four letters, completely wrong. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. A spirit who is a dick and a dick spirit are two very different things. Well, I'm not saying I need to see cartoon sex. I'm just saying. The Foxy Knowledge Seekers, the the FKSs, um, which call, for me called to mind... Uh, Fox Force 5, who are, of course, a bunch of foxy chicks to be reckoned with. Hello, and welcome to The Avatar Returns. I'm Paul. I'm Eric. And I'm AJ. And each week we discuss two to four episodes of the Nickelodeon animated series Avatar The Last Airbender and its sequel series The Legend of Korra. Uh, This week is a short but sweet, or maybe bittersweet would be... Uh, more appropriate, with only two chapters, 214, City of Walls and Secrets, and 215, The Tales of Ba Sing Se. Uh, Eric and I have seen both of these series before, but this is AJ's first trip to the world of Avatar. That means there will be spoilers, but only up to the point that we're discussing tonight. Um, but before we get to the show, we've got extra time to fill. There's only two chapter, chapters to discuss this week, so let's banter a little bit. Um, First, I just wanted to share some words with uh, Eric. We don't talk about other animated projects on this show as much as I feel like we should. And uh, Eric, I, I tweeted at you today that I, or recently, that I have rewatched um, both seasons of Tron Uprising twice in the last week. That I, you, I, did, you did, that's right. I, I, I just started it again this morning. I, I started watching it again today. Um, I'm kind of obsessed with that show. I love it. I'm I'm like a Tron Uprising hipster. I was watching it when it was on, <laughs> That's right. which makes me one of approximately 15 people. <laughs> so uh, so were you enraged when it was, I guess when it was canceled, it just kind of disappeared. Like they didn't even really make an official announcement, did they? Not really. I mean, it was it was obvious it was getting canceled. I, I, don't, I don't, I remember not being particularly um, surprised that it was getting canceled. It wasn't. It was canceled unofficially enough that if they think if they had gone through with making Tron 2 or mm-hmm. Tron Legacy 2 or whatever, mm-hmm. I think they may have brought the show back. But I think that with that movie not happening, there was no reason to go on. And um, Star Wars Rebels basically slurped up the plot of Tron Uprising. And so that was the death of Tron Uprising. Well, it was it was it was sad. I suppose. I mean, I would rather have seen it continue because I really, I enjoyed pretty much everything about it. I enjoyed the animation style, which was unique. I enjoyed the story that was being told. I liked the voice actors. Um, But it does, it's, it's one of those weird situations where it kind of ends at a point where you can tell that maybe they wanted to keep going, but I sort of like where it ends. Yeah, it did. I felt satisfied with where it was. It's it's too bad because there was obviously a lot of really interesting plot and just the idea of Tron training this like rebel to work in his name was just such an awesome concept that I could have watched like five more seasons yeah. of it. But it was a show that just had a lot of really interesting stuff. It was dark at times, like legitimately yeah. dark. 
and it's just it's just a bummer that it didn't go on. But I I, I don't feel like it, it didn't end on a cliffhanger. It didn't end in a way that made you really angry that you had just devoted a lot of your life to it. But it's it sucks. It's it's one of the best animated projects that I've seen out there. And and like I said, about fifteen people watched it. So <laughs> it kind of well, sucks. I'm making up for for lost time by watching it multiple times. But um, it's your fault that I watched it too because. Uh, uh, you talked me into watching Tron Legacy, which I, I actually, <laughs> I was afraid to watch. Like I was excited when they announced the movie was going to come out, and then I don't know what turned me off. But at some point, I was like, I, I don't really think that I want to see that. But you kept telling me it was good, and so finally, I, I checked it out, and it was good. I mean, I didn't love it, but it was good. I liked it, and then I just I felt the urge for more Tron, so I finally decided to check out that series. And for anyone out there who is watching Star Wars Rebels and likes it, you should give Tron Uprising a chance. I, I made a joke about it eating up Tron Uprising's plot. And it and a little bit of the setup of Rebels is very much the setup of Tron Uprising. But it, they, they're distinct in a lot of tonal ways. But if you like Rebels, I suspect you would also like Tron Uprising an awful lot. What's a Tron? Well, AJ, see, before you were born, there was a movie. <laughs> Things existed before I was born. Yeah, there was this whole world that happened before you happened. And it was a, it was a glorious it was, world. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Wow. Well, this is the first I've heard of it. <laughs> and then the dark days <laughs> happened. So, um, AJ, I believe you have something you want to darken our souls with. I do, I do. So I just want to say, since, again, we have time to kill, this has, like, uh, the Tron thing is, at least that's a an animated TV show, it's in the same realm as Avatar. What I'm about to ask you guys has literally nothing to do with Avatar The Last Airbender, but I thought it would be fun. You'll probably disagree. <laughs> uh, so for Christmas, I got this, uh, I, I got the Book of Questions Daily Calendar. So each... Uh, day presents you with a different like uh hypothetical question or ethical dilemma uh, i believe one of them was like if you could like decide the like the next 100 people to die from heart disease like who would they be and would you announce it publicly something like that <laughs> uh so uh, there was there was a little bit of a fun question the other day uh that i've been asking like everyone i know so the question was uh, if you could wake up as a 16-year-old and you knew it would only last for one week, what would you do? And before you answer, to me, I feel like this question needs – there need to be additional specifics. Like I think there are three scenarios here. Either you're waking up as you when you were 16, like back in time. Or you are waking up uh, as your present-day 2016 self, uh, just magically as a 16-year-old, or you're waking up as uh, some random 16-year-old somewhere else. And for me, each of those scenarios uh, has a different answer to what I would oh. do for a week. Holy crap, you're not going to make us answer all three scenarios, are you? <laughs> you can if you want. You don't have to. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, because oh, – okay, so Paul, you – you go first. So, so again, the question is, if you were to wake up tomorrow as a 16-year-old and you knew it would only last one week, what would you do? And feel free to answer, like, the different scenarios I proposed or just however however you interpret that question. It's kind of an open-ended sort of vague question. I need, I need a, a, a more 
outline scenario. Well, okay. So if I were to magically wake up with, uh, if I were to wake up with my mind in my 16 year old's body, like back in 1986, if I woke up as myself in 1986, I would, um, uh, this is going to sound really cliche, but I would make a concerted effort to fucking enjoy myself because, um, that at the age of 16, I was still struggling to be for everybody to treat me as an adult. And I was really upset that, and I was tired of being the fucking teenager. I just wanted to be a grown up. I desperately, I pray every day for those days back. I cannot stand being an adult anymore. Um, so I would certainly back in that time, I would certainly enjoy myself much more at the age of 16. I was, we're getting into our confessional episode at the age of 16. I was in a relationship (laughs) and, um, that relationship spiraled into a really terrible place. So I would take steps to avoid that. I would do whatever it took to either gracefully exit that relationship before it's, before it imploded or try and try and uh, save it. I suppose, try and be a better person and hope that my partner would be a better person. Um, it's a great answer. Uh, I guess this answer would also apply. <laughs> Maybe this is kind of the same answer. I would also take, I would take full advantage at the age of 16. I had access to all of the illicit illegal substances that I wish I had Mm -hmm. access to right now, but I was much too straight edge back then to partake. I would fucking partake. So that's my, that's my message to all the kids listening at home. (laughs) (laughs) Destroy your body while you have the chance, because by the time you are my age, uh, it's too late. That is an inspiring message. I know. On a podcast about a children's television network (laughs) show. Uh, What about you, Eric? Well, okay. So if I woke up in my body as a 16-year-old, like I had traveled through time, I would spend all week living in abject fear that I was going to fuck up the timeline. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I would do everything I could not to. If I woke up today... As a 16-year-old for a week, I have no fucking clue what I would do because I can't think of a worse thing than to be a teenager randomly. <laughs> I can't drink. Well, actually, I would, I would just hope there's enough alcohol in my house that I wouldn't have to leave and not be able to buy alcohol and face that humiliation. So I, I can't think of a single thing I'd want to do if I was a 16-year-old right now. If I was woke up and I was in someone else's 16-year-old life for a week, well, in that case, I would do everything I could to ruin his life. (laughs) (laughs) This random person you don't know, you would just decide to ruin his life. What if it's like the greatest, nicest 16-year-old in the world? He's going to grow up to be the fucking uh, pope who unites the world. He's 16. He's fucking up his life anyway. It's it's fine. It's it's happening. What I would do... Is I would be the adult for him in that situation. I would find out anything that he was doing. Like, like Paul, you were talking about being in a relationship that you wish you had dealt with differently. I would deal with it. Right. I would just take oh. it upon myself to set this person's life upright. They, they would ruin again when they got back to it. And they would be <laughs> horrified by what I did because I would break up with their girlfriend. I would <laughs> every, every bad thing that I could do. He wouldn't have any friends left. I'd get into a fight with whoever's treating them like shit. Every bad thing that I could do, I would do. And then I would pop out at the end of the week and he could come back into his life and be like, what the fuck just happened? And I hope 
he was in my life doing the same thing because <laughs> then I would respect him. Ooh, yeah. Do we trade places? <laughs> wow. Can I wake up in 16-year-old A.J. Wiley's body? Oh, I, I, could do, I could do some shit. If you, if you want to, just, just, just know that you would then log on to a message board and talk to yourself <laughs> from 10 years ago. Oh, God. Oh, I hate you. But, <laughs> but you would also then go and roleplay as Sonic the Hedgehog. That's yes. so true. Wow. So true. Uh, so for me, okay, if I were to wake up as myself six when I was 16, so only short 10 short years ago, um, I would... I, I mean, Paul, like you said, it's cliche, but I would definitely, I would have, I wouldn't go nuts, but I would have more fun than I was having at 16. Um, I would uh, instill in myself the desire uh, to pursue higher learning uh, <laughs> instead of waiting 10 years to decide to do that. Uh, and I think... Uh, I feel like there's a pretty good chance of could I could have wound up with someone I could have been in a pretty good relationship with if I'd pursued it, uh, and so I would do that. Um, so that's what I would do if I woke up ten years ago as my sixteen-year-old self. Uh, if I woke up in a random sixteen-year-old's body, I would get fucked up for a week. <laughs> I would just go nuts, like yeah. No moderation whatsoever. Like, I guess I would ruin the kid's life because I wouldn't be home at all for the entire time. <laughs> I wouldn't even pretend. I would just fucking hit up the clubs. Uh, it, it would be amazing. That's what I hope happens. Uh, if I were to wake up today, or I'm sorry, if I were to wake up tomorrow morning in the year 2016 as my present day self, but magically 16, one, I would go to a doctor. No one would notice, first of all. Wow. Wow. I would go to a doctor and then I would parlay this into like I would get like some TV spots. I would I would I would profit off of this medical abnormality. <laughs> but I would for a like, week, well, only in a week. I mean that's a that's an aggressive tactic for only having a week. I will set up like a uh, you know like David Blaine sat like in a fucking box or something <laughs> for a week. I would set up a camera so to, to prove to people that uh, this actually happened uh so like I would have a camera trained on me 24/7 so that when I revert back to 25 year old me, uh, like the the camera would capture that painful American werewolf style transformation, <laughs> uh, and then uh, it would be, it would be historical. So you know I I have a question for both of you, um, because you you said something similar about going back into your own lives and why would you try? to make better choices for yourself. You know that you're just going to go back to yourself in a week and you're going to go back to being a moron again. <laughs> so why bother? Wow. Well, I, I... <laughs> how about if I woke up, uh, 30 years ago, Jesus Christ. If I woke up 30 years ago, um, I would start writing avatar, the last airbender. How about that? There we go. <laughs> See, there you go. Now we're talking. I would, uh, I, I, if I woke up, fuck, I never mind. My, my plan was ruined. I was like, I'm going to like predict nine 11, but shit, that was after nine 11. That's how young I am. <laughs> wow. That um, just made, made the most wonderful AJ's a child joke. that I could <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, no, I, I think, no, but I feel like if I could go back in time, like, I don't know, maybe I could somehow instill in myself the desire not to fuck these things up. <laughs> 
I don't know. So you, actually, so what you need to do then is write yourself a letter for when sixteen-year-old you comes back. Right. That's what you really need to do because you can't just have done a bunch of stuff because sixteen-year-old you will show back up and be like, "What the fuck happened for the last week?" <laughs> right. Why did I break up with this person I'm totally obsessed with and is bad for me? I have to get back with them right now. That's what they would right. do. So you have to you have to make sure you're communicating to your child self. Be like, stay in school, do more drugs. <laughs> Basically, uh, you need you need to be the former past life of the Avatar speaking to Aang and giving him good advice. See, I got us back to the show. What do you think of that? Perfect. That's perfect. That was perfect. an AJ level segue right there. Segue. No, that was fu- no an AJ level segue is not a compliment. That was <laughs> that was a legitimate segue. <laughs> All right, I guess we got I guess we got to go to it then, huh? So, um, for is sick. Are any of these characters sixteen? Or are they all younger? Um, I think Zuko is 16. Yeah, I think Zuko is too. Oh, fuck. If I was Zuko at 16, I'd be like, stop being such a whiny... Stop being such a, a finger-in-the-booty-ass bitch. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, Zuko is 16. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, there you go. So let's let's talk about 16-year-old Zuko. Uh, the, the first chapter tonight, <laughs> chapter 214, City of Walls and Secrets. Uh, AJ, you're the noob. You start us off. What'd you think? I liked it a lot. I, I really enjoyed this episode. Um, I like the fact that they we finally arrive at Ba Sing Se, and you had prepared me uh, for it being huge, mm-hmm. and indeed it was. Uh, and I really like the fact that there are like these cultural guardians in place. Uh, that like the 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 truth. You know, war is not allowed to be mentioned in Ba Sing Se, and the truth is kept uh, under wraps. And I really like that aspect of it, and the fact that, you know, they're there to meet the king, but their request will take six to eight weeks to process, because <laughs> welcome to life. Um, I, I really enjoyed getting to see Ba Sing Se, and it's, it's creepy, weird, uh, in-denial society. Um, Eric, what about you? No, I feel the same way. I, I remember Bossing Say being like a really screwed up place that things I love that everyone is like so excited to get to Bossing Say. It's like we're gonna get to this big city, it's the last holdout against the Fire Kingdom, and you get there and it is just creepy and awful yep. as soon as they arrive. And every way that, that plays out is great. The City of Walls and Secrets is amazing at setting up Bossing Say as a place in like a twenty minute period because you get just What's oh, what's her name? Judy. Judy. Yeah. yeah. Um, her her Judy, whole Judy. Judy. That's my that's my Cary Grant avatar style. Her um her whole like creepy like when she is like behind them shaking her head at people that trying to get them not to answer questions. Yeah. Like you get that whole bit and like her desperate attempt to not give information away, which then pays off in the really really creepy, um, brainwashing sequence of. Uh, jet at the end yeah with uh, that weird light like them that light circling around the guy as he keeps telling him war's not happening like there's some creepy fucking shit going on in this episode and yeah. i love it i love it that's some 70s conspiracy movie shit right there yeah <laughs> and this is this is the uh the marathon man of avatar um, the parallax view of avatar there you go uh yeah, so the city is big. <laughs> That's what we learned. So yeah, I love the geography that they set up, and we we see more of it. Um, and actually, I mean, this is a a theme 
that will even continue into Korra. I mean, even in Korra, they talk about the layout of the city. And uh, I, I, I feel like it's not necessarily original. I feel like this setup has been done before, but I love the way it's done here. I love the scale. You've got the outer wall. So last week we got to see the outer wall um, and you thought you were at the city, but no, there's this entire just like kingdom's worth of farmland between the outer wall and the inner wall um, before you get to the actual city. Uh, and then even in the city itself, it's divided into the various rings that um, that break it up into like social strata. It's very classist. And uh, I, I love that. I love the fact that uh, Zuko and Iroh have to live in the, the poor section, the, the lower ring, the poor section of town. But I think they look good. Like... I I think Zuko looks great in Earth Kingdom clothes. Yeah, I I think that that not as good as Iroh. But, well, I mean, but, I, Iroh pulls off everything he wears. So, but yes, I, I I actually really like that. There's this like nice chunky bit of plot about Zuko and Iroh trying to make a real go of setting up a life in Bossing Say. It's it's they're very committed to it, which I think is not what you'd expect in a show like this. Uh, the great thing, uh, and it it plays out or, or we, we see more of it in the next episode we're going to talk about, but um, I love the difference between the two. Zuko is still struggling with this. Like he, he even says, I don't want to make a life here. You know, I, the, <laughs> I didn't want to become a, a member of the earth kingdom or whatever. Um, but Iroh in his, his sage way is like, well, life happens wherever you are, whether you want it to or not. Uh, Iroh, really embraces this like you i get the sense you get the sense watching this that iroh could legitimately be happy here um yeah, yeah. i mean technically iroh could be happy wherever he is but um here i think you finally get you really get a sense that iroh has been on the run from the fire nation just as much as zuko has been um and like here's an opportunity where iroh could really be who he wants to be just a a peaceful tea shop owner or whatever. And more importantly, he's there with Zuko. It's not just him who's come to the fire, the, the earth nation. He is getting to not just settle himself down, but is the Zuko has finally hit a point where he's forced to settle down too, mm -hmm. which is very clearly all Iroh wants for Zuko. This is all he has left in the world. And the fact that he may have been able to carve out a little life for the two of them is a huge win for Iroh. I think. Yeah. Um, uh, AJ, what do you think of the Zuko Iroh part of the story? I mean, this entire season, I've been fascinated by the Zuko Iroh storyline, and I, I just have to echo what Eric says. Uh, what we, I mean, what you both are saying. I love seeing Iroh like having a legitimate go at making a life for the both of them there, and I mean, I feel, I almost feel like seeing Iroh. I like domestic Iroh. <laughs> like I feel like that is who he is. That's where he belongs, uh, and it's it's just nice. I I really I I'm enjoying their efforts, even though I'm I know they're going to be thoroughly ruined. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you think that? Oh, I don't know because there's an entire season of the show left after this. <laughs> maybe they maybe they leave Zuko and Iroh behind, and that's just, that's the this is the end this, of their plot. This is the last the, we see their of them. plot. Her uh, his his Zuko's meet cute with the. Uh, with Jin is uh, their last, uh, their last yeah. story. Yeah. That's it. That's it. They're gonna okay. they're gonna ride out. They ride out the season, you know, and that's it. All right, there you I go. Mean, 
I mean, you did see Paul tweet today that that then it's really sad, but Mako does not did not survive to finish the series. So that's that's true. That's true. So you don't. I guess I'm saying is you don't know what's going to happen. We never know what's going to happen. That's true. That's true. I'm going to go back in time and tell my 16 year old self (laughs) to prepare for this eventuality. Build yourself up so you don't get attached to Zuko and Iroh. <laughs> yeah. If only you could have clung to your hatred of Zuko that you had at the beginning of the series. I know. God damn it, what's wrong with me? Why do I have to to accept people for all of their flaws? <laughs> You'll learn. See the good person hidden beneath all the whiny <laughs> bitchiness. You'll learn sooner or later. Um, uh, well, let's keep talking about them because th- that deals with Jet. So, uh, again, I'm slightly fonder of Jet than, than you guys are, but... Uh, I I don't know where you, I don't mind Jet Paul I don't know where you're getting this. Well, I, I said slightly. I I'm not accusing you of hating Jet, but you. you I just, mean, you were not as enamored of him enamored of him as I was initially. How so. can I not like a character who reminds me of that Wings song every single time I hear his name? Oh Lord, now I don't like him anymore. Thanks, thanks for ruining uh, that. Wow. Okay. <laughs> but uh, so, how how do you feel about his storyline? He goes all creeper stalker gets obsessive and uh, and tries to turn them tries to you know expose them as being firebenders uh, and and ends up uh, in a parallax view i think it's interesting that jet is he's claiming that he's trying to go like legitimate like not trying to be a scoundrel (laughs) like he used to be um and I, i suppose in his shoes uh you know, two co- undercover firebenders in in the middle of the Earth Kingdom it can't be a good sign. Like, I understand why he would think that was nefarious, but uh, cl- clearly it, it, he gets led down the wrong path. Clearly it does not work out for him. Though that sword fight between him yeah. and Zuko was fucking phenomenal. <laughs> yes, it was. I, yeah. I, I love sword fights to begin with, and that was really well done. And it was actually tense in a way because everything we know about Zuko is that he's going to lose his shit and shoot fire. Right. Like, you know, that he could, like, actually lose it with Jet and try to shoot him with something is is a legitimate threat in this fight, which makes the fight – it gives a nice extra layer of of danger because we know Zuko is not going to get killed by Jet. But Jet pushing Zuko to to reveal himself is not an out-of-the-question situation. So it and it does show an awful lot of growth by Zuko that it doesn't work. Yeah, he, I mean, I he stays in sword fighting mode the whole way. I think he's been he's so freaked. I think he was so burned by burned that was not intended <laughs> to be a pun. He was so burned, yes. Um, <laughs> when, uh, I forget. Uh, I think it was the, Z- the Zuko, Zuko alone. alone. Yeah, yeah. When they found out who he was at the end of that episode, and uh, people who had looked up to him completely turned on him. I think that really that forced him to learn something. And we we saw last week he was freaking out that Iroh made the silly mistake of you know heating his coffee mm-hmm. uh, with his firebending skills, which he which he does not coffee. do this week. Really, coffee, tea. tea, tea. Oh my God, tea. I'm so sorry. Of course, uh, which he but he does not repeat that mistake again. Uh, he too has learned his lesson. Um, but yeah, it, it does show remarkable restraint on Zuko's part that he doesn't uh, reveal himself during that fight. 
as the as the resident apparently hates jet person here <laughs> i also don't hate jet um I, I will say that I was I was pleasantly surprised getting back to this how understandable and easy it was. It was easy to empathize with Jet mm-hmm. with what was going on, like what AJ was saying that he has this worry that there's undercover firebenders, and at no point does it come off like Jet's just trying to be an asshole yeah. to these two people. Like he he starts getting that obsession where like no one is listening to him, mm-hmm. so he just he can't stop himself. He just gets himself into a. I mean, it's funny because it it is. It's not just like a conspiracy film at the end with what happens to him. Jet's whole plot this episode is kind of like a conspiracy episode. That he has this idea that there's these two secret agents in town and he just has to reveal them and basically makes himself like a nutcase trying to do so, which is pure conspiracy theory movie stuff. Uh, See, I think, yeah, I mean, you're right. It made Jet a very sympathetic character. Like when we we first met him uh, in in his self-titled episode uh he told us like he'd suffered at the hands of the fire nation and he was he and the freedom fighters were fighting back and and that seemed justified but we got to see him be so over the top and he he pushed it way too far so there really was not an opportunity to sympathize with him in that situation he was just the he was the extremist at that point and now um when it's he's really trying to quote unquote go legit or whatever you know he's trying to put all that behind him he's trying to move on um but it's just uh, he just has so much pain and anger bottled up inside at the fire nation that he can't he cannot let these people get away he can't let them hide he can't let them get away with it and it really as he's being drug away i mean you it's not quite manic i mean he's not quite psychotic and foaming at the mouth but it's it's kind of like that like clearly he's he's desperate and he really wants to expose them and and he suffers for it he does he gets the one of the worst um consequences i think anyone on the show has gotten for any action against and and at the hands of the earth nation not the fire nation yeah it's the earth kingdom who who treats his own people who do this to him you know, in uh, in an early episode of the podcast, Eric, you and I had sort of questioned. It, well, it was uh, it was the King Bumi episode, um, whatever the title of that one was, uh, King of Amashu. Um, we, you and I, were like because you and I knew that there was this whole Earth Kingdom thing, this whole bossing say thing coming up. We were like, how does the government of the Earth Kingdom work? Because King Bumi is not the Earth King that we see later. So how does this work? It's not exactly explained here, but I, I feel like what we're getting is that there is the Earth King um, is the like the supreme leader. And then there are probably various kings of, of little like uh, of other cities or little regions throughout that kind of operate as his uh, his vassals or whatever. Yes. I mean, one of the things we we clearly get out of this is that the Earth King is not in any form of direct rulership over his people, not even his city. Yeah, we don't. In fact, we don't. We, as far as we know, we haven't even seen the king yet. <laughs> There's the. We think we're about to see him at the party, uh, but then he's whisked away, or whoever is in that little, uh, whatever you call those things, the little oh, carriage. We did see the we did see the king's bear though. Yeah, we saw Bosco. The bear. Not, and not... by the way, the gang is really freaked out that <laughs> yeah. it's just a bear. 
Yes. Yes, it's great. You mean a platypus bear, right? No, no, just a bear. <laughs> Maybe a gopher bear or a, a I don't remember what else they were like. And it's, no, just a bear. Wow, this place is weird. <laughs> uh, I love uh, what I really like about this uh, the weird creepy earth kingdom thing is that up until now we had like we knew the fire nation was bad but I guess it was because the fire nation is so clearly the overwhelming villain of the series I guess it's easy to think that oh all the other kingdoms must be good and fair because they're fighting against the, the fire nation uh, so this was uh, a good reminder that just because there is technically a villain in the series, that doesn't mean that the other kingdoms are not corrupt in their own ways. And uh, I mean, I, I don't know if the Earth Kingdom is as bad as the Fire Nation, but I mean, it's pretty some pretty serious stuff, some pretty bad stuff. Yeah, I mean, anytime that you have a shadow government uh, and a secret police, those are... <laughs> Yeah. Those are pretty ugly. Those are bad. Those are ugly concepts to deal with on a show like this. Um, especially when the leader of the secret police, um, the, 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 the ruler of the puppet government is voiced by Clancy Brown. Never a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as that character speaks, you're like, he's going to be a bad guy. Um, Be one of the things I really like about this episode is that this is the first time in Avatar, and it's taken us almost two seasons to get there, where we actually see a functioning government that makes sense as a government. Mm -hmm. Like, this feels like a real place, and everything else has kind of felt like sort of a hand-waved place. Like, even, like, Omashu is a big city, but nothing about Omashu feels like a real place right. in terms of, like, how it's being ruled. They had a postal service, though. Come on. Yes, that's true. That's true. They, had a, they have, like, a cool transportation system, and that's about it. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, like the water tribes are so small as to be like, even like the Northern water tribe is like, again, it's, it's like kind of a generic fantasy kingdom. Mm. I mean, it's tribal. It's right there in their name. Yeah. And, but you like, but they have like this big, like this big city, but it's really hard to tell who's ruling it and how at any given time. But like this place, yeah, there's a King, but we have this, we have, there's a secret police. There's a, a, an attempt to placate the people there and everything feels like, about as close to a real system of governance that we've ever gotten mm -hmm. in this show. And I really like that because it makes the world feel more real around it as a result. There's a control of information, a, a system of disinformation. There's um, their handlers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I mean oh yeah, and, the, and like the payoff of it all with new Judy is just horrifying. Yes. Yeah. That was a uh, kind of chilling when you don't get to see her face, but you're like, that doesn't quite sound like her. And then you see her face. You're like, wait a minute. How many Judy's are there getting? <laughs> is, is that what's going to happen to Jet? Is he going to become the next Judy? That's awesome. There are at least three, according to my Cary Grant impression. <laughs> God. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> what, what else happened in this episode? Uh Let's see. So, so we said at the top that uh, everyone was excited to get to Ba Sing Se. Everyone except for Toph, because Toph yeah. obviously is from uh, a wealthy Earth Kingdom family, has been to Ba Sing Se, knows what Ba Sing Se is like, has consciously, as we learn a little bit more, I mean, we already knew this, but as is explained a little bit more in the next episode, she has con consciously rejected all of those social values. And so she is not thrilled uh, to be in Ba Sing Se. And as she says... Uh, it's just a bunch of walls and rules. Yeah. 
which I think is a great uh, description of any city, really. Um, and uh, also, the, they know that they're going to be stuck there for a while. Uh, six and to eight so, weeks. Six, six to eight weeks. So uh, Aang makes a promise to spend most of that time looking for Appa. Right. Who is still missing. Um, yeah, it was a little uh, somber note when they first got off the train, which, by the way, the trains are cool. I love the fact that the trains are just pushed by earthbenders uh like a skateboard um but when they first got off the train he just looks out over the city and blows Oppa's whistle and nothing yeah. happens yeah well oh, how how about the the like implicit threat that oh yeah the, the what's what's the, what's clancy brown's character's name? long long fang long fang like his like implicit threat about oppa is is also pretty awful mm-hmm I understand you're looking for your air bison. It would be a shame if you didn't get to complete that task or whatever he says. Yeah. Um, the the downside of this, I want to I want to warn you all. This isn't going to happen in this, but since we have met them, um, my my feelings, my memories of the Dai Li, uh-huh. the secret, are not fond, and I don't mean that in a story way. I found the Dai Li massively frustrating for reasons <laughs> that we have not really entirely seen yet, but. Um, the Dai Li are not some of my favorite villains of the um, of the show, so there there is there is a good possibility that next week is going to be Eric complains a lot about the Dai Li. So I just <laughs> want to warn you, their okay. introduction in this episode is fantastic, though. That okay. I I like I like the social role they play in the city, and I think they did a really good job with them. Cool. Uh, so we have uh, there are a bunch of names in this episode that I would love to hear AJ try to spell. All right, long thing. Mm-hmm. All right. L-O-N-G. Yep. Okay, second word. F-I-N-G. Oh, you're so close. I was uh, sure you were going to get this one. I was uh, sure you were going to get this one. Uh, <laughs> F-E-N-G. Damn it. One letter off. Yeah. All right, throw another one at me. Uh, Judy. Uh, that one I got spoiled for me. Oh. I, I, I saw that one on the Avatar wiki. Man. But at first I thought it was just Judy, so there's that. Okay. Like the regular well for those playing at home it's j-o-o second word d-e-e but uh who else do we have um how about how about the daily yeah i feel i I don't feel uh good about this one uh d-i space l-e wow Mm. you you did you got (laughs) you got one of the vowels (laughs) because i had a friend i had a friend in school named viley and that was probably she spelled her name except it was a v instead of a d Nope. So anyway, nope, you whiffed it. It's uh, two words: D A I, second word L I. Well, okay then. <sighs> well done, AJ. You managed to to screw up both of the ones that I thought you were gonna get. Uh, that's that's how I roll. That's how I roll, Eric. <laughs> well done, well done, Citizen Kane. Clap for you. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, let's see. Uh, I don't think there was anything else in this. Uh, I loved some of Sokka's expressions. One of my favorites, one of my favorite visual gags is when he's getting really frustrated with Judy because she will just not listen to him while he's trying to tell her how important this information is. Uh, and when she says something about, um, you know, this is the the middle ring where we've got, um, what the hell was on the middle ring? Uh, it was financial. Financial district, shops, restaurants, and the university. And the university. And, uh, he's, and Sokka's like, 
he gets excited. He's like, oh, yes, we met a professor who was from the University of Bossing, say, and he had all this information and he gets right up in her face. And then she just keeps talking and and the look on his face, like his his mouth gets all pursed and his eyes just get big. I, I... Well, I love her response is great at that moment because he like leans in to say it, and he's talking about how they looked at, they found a book that says something about a weakness in the fire kingdom. Mm-hmm. And she goes, history is very interesting, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I love Frustrated Sokka. I love all Sokkas, but Frustrated Sokka is great. I loved uh, Sokka and Aang trying to pretend to be yes. fancy uh, Earth Kingdom folk. Avatar Aang, how you do go on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Don't forget Momo. Lord like... Momo of the Momo Dynasty, your Momo-ness. <laughs> yes. What was, what, was was the, what was the animal that he was harassing, like the parrot? Uh, sparrow Keats. Sparrow Keats. You have to leave. Your your lemur is harassing the Sparrow Keats. <laughs> yes, that um, was great. Yeah, that whole the whole plan uh, at the end. We surprising to see that um, the the golden seal of the Bayfong family didn't really carry oh, as yeah. much weight at the royal palace of Ba Sing Se, did it? Yeah. One of my favorite lines in this episode, uh, Iroh says, "This tea is nothing but hot leaf juice." To which Suko responds, Uncle, that's what all tea is. <laughs> How can a member of my own family say something so monstrous? <laughs> hot leaf hot leaf juice is brilliant. I love that. Yes, it is. Um that's how I'm gonna I'm gonna have Chinese tomorrow and I'm gonna order hot leaf juice. Just see what I get. You should. I I, I think you should. <laughs> um all right, can we move on? I think yeah, so. let's go on to Tales of Bossing Say. Tales of Bossing Say. This will be an interesting one to discuss. So, uh, again, AJ, you get to start. I thought this was a really fun episode. I I like it when shows go uh, off format like this, especially you know if they if they're going to be spending a while in Bossing Say, this was a nice way to show where everyone is and what they're doing with that time. And uh, I I yeah, I really enjoyed it. There were what? Uh, let's see. Uh, five or six little vignettes. I, I I enjoyed all of them. Yeah, um, Eric, what about you? Yeah, and no, this is one of those episodes I remembered. I was looking forward to getting back to it. I didn't actually remember um, many of the stories. I remembered Ang's um, story, and I remembered Iroh's a little bit, but I couldn't really remember the rest of them. Although some of them came back to me as I was watching them, but I did remember thinking this episode was really neat because it it's. The first time the show has let the characters actually sit in a place for any length of time without being on the run. And I like that they actually took advantage of it instead of just skimming through it. And we get, you know, this is not the last episode we're going to get where it's not just straight plot momentum. There's at least one more left. And I I really like that. It does a lot to mature the story in a way that it had never felt up to this point. So, it, which is funny to say in an episode you have Sokka um, haiku uh, slam haikuing, yeah, with rap with someone, but but still, uh, it's a it's a really so this is a really good episode, and I I was excited to get to watch it again. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that uh, you only sort of remembered uh, the tale of Iroh because that, um, yeah, and, and AJ, when you said this was a fun episode, I you're right. Uh, the large measure of this episode is fun. Of the six stories, the six segments that we get here. Um, uh, five of them are pretty fun. You're right. But the one that stands out to me, the one that I always remember this episode for, is the tale of Iroh, uh, it's which a, which is it's a, harsh. It's a weird. It's a weird sequencing too. Like, you put that second, 
and like I don't know, it kind of put me in a funk. <laughs> like, uh, so I don't know. Should we discuss these in order? Yeah, or... yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll take them in order. Um, so the first up was uh, the tale of Toph and Katara. Um, so they got they the girls had to share a story, but uh, um, but that was it, it was fun. I think to see to get to see sort of the the softer side of Toph a little bit, as brief as it was. It, it especially was... getting to see Toph um, har- like harass the spa lady by making her mud mask talk. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was good. Um, and and uh, I loved her bedhead. Yeah. Oh yeah, Toph's bed head was great. Book hair. Yeah, exactly. That's what I wrote. It reminds me of books, hair, and Firefly. That's <laughs> <laughs> so much hair. It, I, I, I like that it was it was some bonding between two characters that didn't get that yeah. ha, that have had reasons not to bond. Yeah, uh, Toph and Katara have kind of struggled <laughs> with their friendship up to this point. And what I liked about this little story was that. It like it, it allows like it does, it does the thing where you know Toph and Katara get makeovers, but uh, while at the same time time acknowledging, I think there's even a line of dialogue like, I know this isn't really that important, but mm, like yeah. it, you know that's not everything, but it, it it's fun. Yeah, it's interesting the dynamic of this bossing say setting. Uh, like the last time, uh, Eric, like you said, this is the first time where they've been sort of set in a location where they're not being pursued the last time they spent a significant like multiple episodes in one setting was um was the end of season one the end of book one uh the northern water tribe but that was so hectic and there was you know they 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 were being pursued they were preparing for war and all this uh the setting here is they are act they're forced to stand still they they literally they cannot keep moving forward they've been told to wait so all they can do is have a spa day or you know um go to a poetry slam or whatever so it's interesting uh, lots of tv shows do these anthology episodes but i really like the way that the show did it I, and i i have to give a give this first story some some wonderful credit for the fact that they deal with bullies by Toph dropping them in the water and then Katara sending a tidal wave to wash them away. Yes, <laughs> I loved that. No restraint whatsoever. None. <laughs> awesome. I um, also loved uh, Toph basically being Pigpen from Peanuts. Right. Uh, when they were trying to give her the pedicure. Uh-huh. Yep. It was beautiful. As long as they don't touch my feet, of course. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. man. Um all right, well, that's enough uh, fun games. <laughs> Let's get to the tale of Iroh. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, this episode starts off fun enough. Like, yeah. uh, Iroh, you know, he's, he's like Iroh the Troubadour, like, and he makes that little kid stop crying because he's singing about, he's singing the song about the soldier, and then, you know, he helps a mugger, like, turn his life around and stuff. And it starts off all nice and amiable, and then, and then uh, it gets real. Mm-hmm. It gets real real quick. It, this is like the quintessential Iroh story in a lot of ways because it has yeah. everything about Iroh in this like little probably like three, four minute segment. You know, him, the Iroh drunken master personality basically where he stumbles into situations and wisely solves it while everyone thinking he's a fool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually yeah, him providing wisdom to the mugger and then eventually ending with his his very palpable sorrow over the death of his son. Like this is this is Iroh in a nutshell. I don't think anyone else's story has that like encapsulation of a character. No. The way this one does. Yeah, this is a 
I, I mean, I can't say it any better than you just did, Eric. This is the full scope of Iroh. Uh, it explains why he retired in the first place, uh, um, why he agreed to like go on the road with his nephew, why he tries, why he is so focused on on helping his nephew, on saving his nephew, basically. I mean, it, it's this is beautiful, and the double whammy in this is seeing uh, fun, lovable um, uh, Iroh leading other people to their own enlightenment, um, you know, saving the, the moonflower from direct sunlight. Such a little touch, but I loved that. Um, and then seeing him, uh, you know, commemorate the death of his son. And the segment closes out with the, you know... In honor of Mako. In honor of Mako, because uh, um, Mako Iwamatsu is his full name. That actor died uh, in July of of the year that this aired, 2006. So he he passed away three months before this episode aired. Um, and they chose this episode to be the one to yeah include because he 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 finished out the season, right? Yes, that's yes. what I read. Yeah. Uh, so just for the, the maximum emotional effect, they had to put in honor of Mako over the scene of him tearfully singing at his son's grave. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. And, and, and Paul, just to answer your question um, about what I remembered, the ending of this is what I remembered. I remember the really potent thing. I had forgotten the little vignettes from before that. Like I had forgotten the mugger. Right. Yeah. I had forgotten the um, the kids breaking the window. Mm hmm. But I did remember. I, I saw all I remembered was that his story ended with this. I remember it being very, very sad because mm -hmm. of where the story ended. Um, I had forgotten that this was the episode that had his dedication on it. But um, I'll be honest. I didn't know Mako passed away during the series. You, uh, you mean before this or? Yeah, I, I, I didn't. I did not know that Mako didn't make it all the way through the series. Oh, OK. Uh, so, yeah, the, the so I that was it hit me pretty hard, like because now in the third season, um, Iroh is going to be voiced by someone else, and I don't know how I feel about that. Or we won't get any Iroh. I know we get Iroh. <laughs> I I double checked. You bastard. I know. Um, it, it's it is it's it's tough. I'm not gonna lie that everything post Mako with Iroh is a little. You get used to it. Yeah. But there, Mako has one of those voices that is um impossible to replicate. So there's just nothing, nothing anyone could possibly do to match Iroh. I mean, it's it is as it's it's just not Iroh's voice exactly, but it's close. And the actor who comes in does as good of a job as they can. And I found by a couple of episodes in, I was accepting it more. I don't remember how you felt, Paul, but it, yeah, no, it, was... it's that's about it. Greg Baldwin is the actor that takes over for him, and uh, it, yeah, it takes a few episodes. Um, I don't think I ever reach a point with Iroh where. I I forget that it's not Mako doing the voice, but yeah, I do get past it. I do learn to accept the new voice. And I feel like um I feel like perhaps Iroh's role, like he okay, I guess spoilers. Um we do see Iroh again, but I feel like maybe his role is just the slightest bit lessened uh going forward. Yeah, I think that it is. And I think that the story, it makes sense with the story. The story puts it, you know, where the story goes in season three justifies the fact that we get less Mako, right, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, but 
it's it's it is a little bit it, it's tough either way yeah but, it's better we but enjoy this because we do have um in my opinion probably the the best of iroh's arcs is the ending of season two's iroh arc in my opinion all right like i can't wait I don't know if you agree with me on that, Paul, but I, I, I'd have to consider that. I'd have to think about that. I have to remind myself what the end of this season is. So, um, all right, well, let's move from that really uh, somber, heartbreaking uh, homage to a fallen actor um, into the goofy tale of Aang. Um, AJ, how'd you feel about this one? I mostly thought about you during this one. I knew it. I knew it. I'm honored. Yeah, it, it's all about... Uh animals and uh ang you know there there's a zookeeper and ang's trying to help the animals and it leads to chaos and he has a really clever use of his bison whistle to get them all back though also some household pets that weren't intended um it was fun i i enjoyed i i enjoyed the rabbit roo the rabbit roo yeah and uh we get we we get the cabbage guy again yeah, yes. he, he was, finally he was, gives up. He is he even he is sick of being in the show at this point. <laughs> he, he I, I want to see what happens with Cabbage Guy next because I just want to know like he's he's he is he's a man who has no he has nothing else to lose. He's <laughs> yes. lost his cabbages so many times. Like, his, like my cab, oh forget his, it. I, yeah, I, I yeah. Want to see how he breaks bad. His, his, <laughs> how he breaks bad. He develops a, a new blue strain of cabbage. Yes, we. If we never see Cabbage Guy again, I would not be surprised, but I never can remember when we're going to see Cabbage Guy again. I didn't even know this joke existed in the show until I'm rewatching it, so I have no idea if we're seeing Cabbage Guy again. Don't spoil me. From this point on, I cannot remember. It just blows my mind that you did not pick up on this joke beforehand, Eric. My mind has these self-defense mechanisms to block out terrible running jokes, and this was was that one. Well, I I, I, then... I'll take this opportunity to potentially scar you again, Eric, by reminding you that the the Cabbage Guy joke carries over into uh, Legend of Korra. See, I and I just, I mean, I recently watched that. I have this excuse for not remembering things in Avatar. By the way, I got called out on Twitter today for getting shit wrong all the time. I noticed that. <laughs> I, I it, it is an earned reputation the number of things I get wrong on Avatar. Things that I honestly thought don't happen until Korra happened in avatar this has been a running theme of this show um i got called out for it on twitter today so um yeah nick you're you're right that's yeah, all i'm gonna say yeah right. uh, I, des- listener, I deserve it i deserve <laughs> listener uh is his last name Voss? no no all right well anyways uh, uh a devoted listener of the podcast uh pointed out some of our mistakes in previous really? episodes. What happened? Well, like Eric said, it was mostly Eric being wrong about stuff. But he also, uh, the point where I was like, stop ruining everything. <laughs> so when he uh, explained away the uh, the Cthulhu god um, statue. Yeah, it's not a Cthulhu um, air bison, AJ. What, what, what is it? It's, it's, it's hair is in little buns. It's like a Buddha statue. Yeah, he linked a, he linked pictures of the Buddha statue that all have the like God, the curly hair it. things or whatever. That was not something I needed explained away. See, that's exactly that was it's, my point. Th- those 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 little um, appa buns, as he called them, are the midi chlorians of this show. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> I was just about to say that. <laughs> you are uh, completely right. Uh, but it's horrible. <laughs> back to this episode, I um, appa this episode buns. is one of the best comic bits of editing in the entire series. Which is Aang talking to the zookeeper and being like, I'm great with animals. And then the next time, it's just the animals running rampage across the entire city. Yeah. 
It was like it's so abrupt. It's it's wonderful. It was like I I actually looked away and I looked back and I was like what wait what and I had to rewind because I thought I had missed something, but no, it was just a brilliant comic. So what each of these little vignettes uh, does, and I'm I'm thinking about this carefully to make sure I'm getting this right, but they're each one of them is sort of a microcosm of the character uh, that they focus on. So. Uh, tale of Toph and Katara. Katara got to be sort of mothering and supportive or, or like big sisterly or whatever. Uh, whereas Toph, I mean, it was a little atypical for Toph because we got to see her softer side. Like she actually even shed a tear when uh, at one point. Uh, but she also stood up for herself. Like she didn't take any shit. Um, and then Iroh, of course, was uh, the epitome of Iroh in his episode. And here Aang, um, who's demonstrated an empathy for animals throughout the entire series. Um, obviously, he continues that here. And we get um, a shining example of his sort of off-the-cuff improvisational manner of dealing with problems when they come up. Um, like if Sokka is the planner of the group, Aang is the one that just, you know sees if he can fix things <laughs> um which plays for comic effect here uh is is this the first time well the first time this is one of the rare times we see ang using something other than airbending outside of a battle with a major villain he uses um, earthbending to create the the yeah. zoo and we almost never see him just randomly use anything other than air yeah, I, yeah, I guess that's true. Except when he's either fighting or training. Yeah, it's either like yeah, training or um, Azula, basically. Right, right. Like we talked about last week. So this is it was interesting as soon as he started using it. So that's what that's that's how big of a mess he created this week. <laughs> and of course the uh, the zookeeper in me. I mean, I can't watch <laughs> that that segment without thinking. Uh, did he take into account um, like drainage, like sewage? Uh, <laughs> what about uh, winter holding for these animals? Did he just make fences around them, or did he, you know, did he prepare for everything? But whatever. The answer to that question is should be obvious, and the answer is no. <laughs> okay, all it's right. and he has no idea what he's doing. Right, right. Uh, all right. Um, I guess the tale of Sokka is next. I, I hope that the tale of Sokka emerged just from someone like a group in the writer's room being like what is Sokka wrote haikus <laughs> and just like coming up with a shit ton of Sokka haikus and then try and like coming up with like a def jam poetry slam uh <laughs> to incorporate all of them Sokka's def jam that's awesome yeah this episode is this this is brilliant by the way. I mean like I I, I want to like invalidate talking about the like really sad Iro one because I I just can't compare that to the other ones. But if you take that out of the running, this is obviously the best. I think the, I think I agree with that, yeah. It it's hilarious and it's it's everything you would want out of a Sokka doing poetry episode. Which you didn't think you needed, it's, it's, but it's, now you're like, how could I have watched this show without this episode? That's, that's right. That's right. And and uh, now you want to see him. You want every episode going forward to have a Sokka haiku in it somewhere. It could be like at the end of GI Joe that they had like the helpful informative, yeah, uh, bits just to have like Sokka do, given a haiku to the end. It can be like the moment, uh, like your moment of Zen, but for Avatar. <laughs> I think it's perfect. <laughs> Squish squash, sling that slang. I'm always right back you like my back at you like my boomerang. I I, I, I calls it easy like I paddle my canoe, I'll paddle yours too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I, like the and the payoff of this is so obvious that he screws it up at the end just when he's gonna like impress the the girls. The girls, yeah. With it. yeah. Like, so it's, but it's it still pays off great. Like even though it's the most obvious of joke payoffs, it's perfect. It, <laughs> that's, it's, yeah. How that's, else would Sokka go out on this? That's one too many syllables there, bub. <laughs> God. Uh, I, I just a... want to say the five seven five society is just brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty awesome. Oh man. Um and his his final comment. Poetry. <laughs> um all right, so the next one, so the uh the two firebenders of the cast are the ones that get sort of I mean, Zuko's tale isn't sad, but it's a little more somber than the rest. I suppose that makes sense considering who it's about, but it's a little heavier, yeah. Yeah, so the tale of Zuko, AJ Go. Wow. Uh, well, it's about an awkward first date. I have plenty of experience with those. All right. Um, no, I thought I thought it was really cute. I mean, it's, it is a little heavier simply because it's about, you know, how much can Zuko let himself be in the moment with this? How much can he let his guard down? How much can he open himself up to another human being? But I thought it was overall kind of cute. Uh, his his date with Jin, who I kept expecting to be like a double agent for, <laughs> for something. I guess she still could be. Um, but it was, yeah, cu- cute. I think is the word. It took my uncle ten minutes to do my hair. Yeah. Uh, what do you do? What, what do you like to do for fun? Nothing. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was all cute. And then him lighting up the fire light fountain, making her close her eyes, and they hold hands. And he ruins their kiss by giving her a free, uh, giving her a coupon, a coupon for a free cup of tea. That is some serious game Zuko has in that moment. Yep, I related a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it it's weird that this is the one I feel like that's the most, um, it's the most conventional story, yeah. of all of the arcs. Like they all, everything else kind of feels like a vignette, whereas this kind of feels like. This one feels like they had a B plot of an episode. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. That was yeah. this, and they couldn't find the room for it, and so they they put it in this instead. Yeah, yeah. This almost fair. could have been. I can't remember the girl's name, but in uh, in an earlier episode when um, they met that family, and like uh, Zuko ended up stealing the the ostrich from him or whatever. Yeah, you remember that the girl there. This feels like a story that could have been told with that girl. Yeah, and, I, and it, I do wonder, like, what was repurposed for this story, because this is definitely the one that, like, it just tonally is, is a little different. And I like it. I actually really like the story, but it definitely doesn't have the weird vignette feel mm-hmm. of the rest of them. Yeah. Um, this one and the Iroh uh, story are both written by the same uh, writer, Andrew Hubner, or Hubner, however you say it. Um, he clearly has an affinity for these uh, for these two characters. Um, it, is it the same person? Because the, what I'm looking at has it, this one written by a different person. Let's see. Tale of... I have Katie Matilla as being who wrote this one. No, I show Andrew Hubner on both of them. Interesting. Cause I, I mean, I'm on the Avatar Ooh, Wiki. Disparity. I wrong, but I, I am showing that it's um, someone different. So hmm. Where but, are you, Paul? Uh, well, I I usually get mine from the uh, Avatar Wiki. Hang on, let me let me double check. Oh here. man, I know it's crazy. Uh, I have I have screwed this up. I want Paul to be wrong this time. When <laughs> so I, do I. I don't want to be the wrong one this week. Uh, let's see. Hang on, hang on. Be wrong, Paul. Be wrong. Uh, Tale of Toph and Katara, written by Joanne Estuesta and Lisa Wallander. 
Um, the Tale of Iroh, written by Andrew Hubner. Um, the Tale of Aang by Gary Shepke. The Tale of Sokka by Lauren McMullen. The Tale of Zuko by Andrew Hubner. Where are you looking at this? I'm I'm actually in the transcript because it shows um, the title of each segment and then the writer for that segment. I'm wondering where the so I I must be getting some stuff wrong here, but or or this yeah. page could be wrong, I guess. But oh my uh, god, this is a genuine <laughs> conspiracy. Like it, I just I just like to get the right. Okay, I will say IMDb also has it um, set to Katie Matella. Huh. Well. All righty then. There's a mystery here. I'm sure somebody on Twitter will <laughs> give us the correct information. But uh, um, I will say it felt like both of the the Iro and this segment were written by someone who, by the same person, someone who deals sort of with their family. Um, I, I want to say that the per, that the person who I think is the writer of this episode is credited to one other episode. Okay. And it's going to go in my favor on this, I think, because the episode she wrote is season three's The Beach. Oh Lord. Okay. So I, that feels this that, feels of a piece with that. Yeah, yeah, so. you're you're probably right then. All right. Well, I apologize if I have miscredited then. But at any rate, um, thanks for misleading all of us, Paul. So you sorry. were supposed to, you were the chosen one. I'm so sorry. I got the Cthulhu thing wrong. God damn it! Cannot be trusted. Um, that all started somewhere. I feel like I was trying if to make I a point. If I woke up as my 16-year-old self tomorrow, <laughs> I, would tell him, I would tell him to log on to weednest.org and, and call your ass out. Right. That would be... That would I'd be. be like, don't listen to this scary old man. <laughs> the perfect, look up to him. The perfect beginning to our relationship. At any rate, this was a great episode, or a great, a great segment. Whoever it wrote was, it, I applaud you. Um, I thought it was interesting that uh, Iroh, or Zuko was so upset that Iroh had... Uh, had surreptitiously heated his cup of tea. Um, but here's Iroh like openly firebending to light all the, yeah, but he's doing it to impress a girl. I know it was very touching. Um, and I also, I loved the way the, uh, the segment ended with him, like storming off awkward and embarrassed or whatever. And like, he gets back to his, his apartment with uncle Iroh and slams the door as much as you can slam those sliding, (laughs) those sliding panels. Um, but then, like, opens the door and, and sort of quietly it nice. says, it was nice. And, and uh, Iroh's smile. It was, it was very touching. I liked it. It's good stuff. All right, The Tale of Momo, which I show is being written by Justin Ridge and Gian- Giancarlo Volpe. So, whatever. You got, you got that right. Okay, I got that one right. Anyways, Tale of uh, Momo, go for it. Momo, uh, his little dream about Appa. Mm-hmm. was was sad mm-hmm. um and he's being chased by those things i don't know what those things are because avatar doesn't have normal am- animals except for apparently the earth king's bear those are pygmy, uh, pygmy, pygmy pumas. pumas or panthers either way yeah um uh, momo dancing <laughs> yes comedy gold it's fantastic you don't know how many times i've wanted to use uh that little gif on twitter but i was like i can't use that aj hasn't gotten that far in the show yet <laughs> i don't follow you so you would have been that's fine. true good point this was um, the first time that they used that music that awful awful comedy <laughs> music and it actually worked <laughs> they use it um, an awful lot with momo but you're right it, it was appropriate I here. did have an uncomfortable flashback to madagascar though oh. with the dancing lemurs uh-huh. and i don't ever want to think about madagascar really ever 
but it was still really funny. Uh, and then the end where he's, you know, curling up in the footprint, the oppo's footprint, that was very sad. Eric? Yeah, this is a, I like this one. This is, and this is, you know, the, a very carefully um, calculated transition out to the next episode Mm -hmm. too, um, which since, I mean, I'm not really spoiling anything since the next episode is called Oppa's Lost Days. So this is a really interesting segue into us finally getting some information on Oppa. I thought that was actually really brilliant use of this bit and we never would have thought we would get a Momo episode. Though I do need to make a note here, and I, I don't want to be a grouch, but oh, they no. the 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 lemur gets its own episode, and the only two female characters have to share a vignette. <laughs> that yeah. that's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. Just, I'm not, they're, they're all the vignettes are good, so I'm not going to belabor it. But I just needed to note that. But yeah, um, but Momo's story is great. I think actually, I was legitimately emotionally affected by Momo going back to save the pygmy pumas. Yes, that was nice. I won't yes. lie. I felt I felt I felt a potent swell of emotions. <laughs> a potent swell of emotions. I need to use that phrase more often. <laughs> um, it's you're you're right. It's interesting. This of all the the little vignettes of all the segments, this is the one that most directly connects to the larger story. Uh, and you're exactly because it's meant to be a bridge to the next one. But um, it's just interesting that um, the lemur gets his own story and it's the one that kind of does the, the largest next to the tale of Iroh, perhaps it's the one that does the most storytelling um, moving the plot forward. But uh, yeah, I, I also got emotional at this one um, again on the zookeeper. I'm the animal guy. Uh, so seeing how Momo is affected, like, like he, he was buds with Appa and Momo was really being affected by, uh, the fact that Appa is missing, and yes, I was horrified at the at Momo and the pygmy pumas being captured and <laughs> taken to a butcher. Um, I was a little mortified by that, um, and a little verklempt when Momo went back and and rescued them, and then they all bonded up on the rooftop with the pumas like purring and rubbing on him. It was adorable. How? How um how wonderful was the comedy though in the moment of when they when Momo's watching the butchers and he can't understand what they're saying yes. like we go we go back to that again which we haven't seen in a very long time yeah Momo, yeah. Momo vision as he tries to understand <laughs> what humans are doing yeah good stuff by the way this is, uh I feel again let down by you Paul what um this was an interesting piece of trivia that you could have mentioned but you were not prepared oh geez um I try to avoid the Avatar wiki. Uh, unless I'm confused about something, so unless I don't get spoiled. Unless you're getting spoiled by Judy spellings. Yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, so here's uh, the trivia section for this episode. Uh, the writers for each segment are regular crew members, and only one of them uh, has any other writing credit on the series. So these are all crew members. That, uh, that wrote these segments? Wow, yeah. only Katie Matilla is the yeah. one who has another episode. Yeah, so, uh, for example, Joanne uh, Estuesta has 18 credits as production coordinator. Lisa Wallander has four credits as production assistant, 13 as martial arts coordinator, uh, and some with videographer. Uh, Andrew Hubner has 16 credits as production manager. Lauren McMullen has eight credits as director, three as storyboard, one as character designer, and one as historian. Uh, Gary Shepke has nine credits as production assistant. Katie Matilla has eight credits as production assistant, seven as production coordinator, and uh, she does also have the writing credit for The Beach. Uh, Justin Ridge has 11 credits 
uh, storyboard artist, and Giancarlo Volpe has 18 credits as director, five as storyboard artist, and one as assistant director. Uh, and interestingly enough, IMDb also lists him as an uncredited writer for The Serpent's Pass and The Drill. And I, I want to just add something to that, which is that Katie Matilla goes on to write um, three episodes of Legend of Korra as well. Nice. Very nice. Excellent. That's interesting. So this was all I, – so I lo- – this actually – this makes my heart swell a little bit. <laughs> That they got like production assistants and production coordinators, and you know some directors, and let them write Avatar stories. What, AJ, what did you say? I don't even see a trivia section here. I'm obviously looking in the wrong spot. But where? What did you say about Andrew Huber, Hubner, the the one that did uh, Tale of Iroh? He has 16 credits as production manager. Production manager. All right. The only thing he wrote was the Tale of Iroh. Now, I will. I will take a. A quick moment to note that on television, um, executive producers always get a last pass. So, um, you know, I imagine that being that a lot of the people who weren't writers on here, there probably was some work by the EPs to clean up the scripts and get them into the same voice as the characters. So I should note that just for the reality of it, but that doesn't matter. And what's awesome is, is that wherever that happened, and who knows how much that happened, maybe it happened very little. Um, the people who were these production assistants and production coordinators got the full credit for these episodes, for their bits, which yeah. is badass and magnanimous of the people in charge of the show. That, that is so awesome. I really like it. Really I, like I it. applaud you, AJ, for finding that. Also, another quick bit of trivia uh, relating to an earlier discussion. An uncredited Greg Baldwin provides a solitary line of dialogue for Iroh during the character's tale. Okay. And, but it doesn't I, say which line. I want to read one thing here from trivia then because I think I just made a comment about it, which is this is the last time Momo's signature theme is used. <laughs> they realized this there was the go. best use of it. They, they had to go out on top. It was all so, just building up to this. Which is maybe the worst theme in all of Avatar. <laughs> so I'm glad that it's gone. <laughs> but this was it. it did, but it did. It went on top. It, I will always now remember momo dancing with monkeys <laughs> wait so actually i want to i have a question we are talking about weird animals in this and everyone's freaked out by the bear right mm-hmm. but that was in the ang episode there was just a siamese cat uh yeah there were just regular house cats that's true and and he's seen a regular cat before in the when he was trying to get when he met the 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 apothecary that sent him off after frozen frogs she was making her cat's dinner so, so what? Um, and then I feel like there's other things like um, we see uh, just a regular old blue jay in. Uh, I think it was the last episode. I'm calling the... bullshit on the entire world building of the show. <laughs> well, maybe they wow. just haven't. Maybe there are okay. So there are regular cats and there's some regular birds, but they they'd never seen just a plain old bear. Maybe I don't know. I'm I I have to take shit for being wrong. <laughs> But the writers can just throw random regular animals into the episode right after everyone being freaked out by a regular bear. That's terrible. This just it's just the continuity is just completely wrong on this yeah. show. I can't I can't I can't keep doing this podcast. The show the show this is, is totally is, ruined now. What a what a what a bunch of hacks. <laughs> wow. Um, I, blame try- the, I blame the uh, production designers they allowed to write an episode. Exactly. See, it all went to hell. Do they, they they let them off the hook to write this episode, and suddenly there's there's Siamese cats and blue jays. I'm trying to think what other animals we saw. We saw I think those in the in the tale of Ang we saw 
I think they're called dragonflies. I think they just call them dragonflies. Those little dragons with like the fly wings. You know what? That that every everything wrong with person needs to do an avatar episode, which is just all of the animals. <laughs> the armadillo lion. Come on, that was cool. The armadillo <laughs> lion was cool. The animals that do not belong in this <laughs> because they're just house cats. And it'll be like, that's what I want. I want every animal wrong with avatar. Someone go do it. There's probably an avatar uh, bestiary out there somewhere that chronicles all of the animals. Yeah. Or you can write that. You're oh not... crap! I just I saw I, I got spoiled on tonight. I don't want to get spoiled on. I have to close the wiki now. Oh no! You've seen the show before, Eric. I you know, know, but that, I got right? spoiled. I got spoiled on something specifically about this show. I found out. I found out when the Cabbage Merchant appears next. Oh no! Okay. Um, is it an Avatar? I I'm like I can't say. I'm not going to spoil the audience. Okay. I just I got spoiled. So everyone know that I now know when the Cabbage Merchant appears next and i will not be surprised by eric, eric is one step I, ahead of us all i certainly won't be able to enjoy this podcast <laughs> <laughs> this was you know i'm really glad that we had these two episodes on their own um because especially with tales of bossing say but this was it was it, it the characters had breathing space mm-hmm. so i think it was interesting for us to have breathing space yeah. at the same time and i think that this would have been a very weird episode with the drill and tells a bossing say in the same episode. Yeah, I think it all worked out. So it was it was meant to be. It was fate. Uh, did we have uh, any other closing thoughts about any, either of these episodes? Um, no, I think I'm they good. Were I good. <laughs> they were good. Okay. What do we? How many more episodes in season two do we have? Is it two more episodes? Uh, um, no, that's, it's more than that. So what did we just do? We, this is, uh, Oh, it's got only be two. No, this is, uh, no, two fourteen and two fifteen. We have, uh, there's, oh, we have two more episodes of this podcast. Oh left yeah. Yeah. For the, for the end of the season. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. That's what I meant. I meant we have two more episodes left of season two for us on this podcast. Yes. I'm sorry. Correct. I'm sorry. Yes. Correct. I asked that. I asked that question poorly. See, I'm getting it wrong again. <laughs> Unsurprising. That, well, this is uh, this is why I try to be careful when I refer to episodes and chapters. That's okay. good. That's a good point. We have we have many chapters left, but we have two episodes left in season two. That's what I, I was trying to figure out what we what we had left in season two. So right, good. Um, yeah. Well. Um, okay. So the, it all worked out for the best. Uh, thanks, you guys, for joining me and uh, making me sound better than I actually am. I don't give you enough credit for that. I'll never give you that credit again, AJ, so take it while you can. Um, And thank you at home for playing along with us. Uh, As always, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes on the website. That's theavatarreturns.com. Links will also be posted on our parent show's site, gobbledygeekpodcast.com, or you could subscribe to the show on iTunes, and every episode will be hand-delivered to you personally by our flying email lemur, Monkey Yahtzee. Uh, you can feed the lemur by dropping us an email at tarpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, you can always find us on social media. Like us on Facebook for all of our updates or follow us on Twitter. The show is twitter.com slash tarpodcast. And on Twitter, I am at haunt1013. Eric is at salon. That's S-A-A-L-O-N. And AJ is at unplugged crazy. Uh, next week, uh, we're back to three chapters, uh, 216 through 218. That's Appa's Lost Days. Lake Laogai and the Earth King. Uh, so, until then, remember, while it is always best to believe in oneself, a little help from others can be a great blessing. Happy birthday, my son. If only I could have helped you.
leaves from the vine falling so slow like fragile tiny shells drifting in the foam little soldier come marching home brave soldier boy comes marching home